I am Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, joining me on today's program in the second and third segments will be returning guest, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Many of you who are longtime listeners will recognize Jeffrey as a prolific author. Uh, and uh, we're going to get Jeffrey's take on what's going on today as far as liberty and as far as central banking policy is concerned. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Hey, if you haven't yet gotten uh, the special report for April, we're carrying that over one more week. Today will be the last day that you can order this report by visiting requestyourreport.com. The April 2022 special report is titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollar, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities, Strategies for a Crazy World. So when you offer, when you order the report by visiting requestyourreport.com, I'll be glad to send you not only the report, but also some bonus information as well that I think you'll find to be especially timely. And again, to request your report and the bonus information, this is the last day this will be offered. Uh, visit requestyourreport.com. You know, a lot is going on around the world uh, geopolitically. Uh, the focus of this program, of course, is to take a look at what's going on and how it might affect you and your retirement. And on today's program, I want to talk to you about something that I'm not hearing from many other sources. But it's something that I think is extremely important for you to be aware of and to consider. And I want to give you just a little bit of background information uh, in this segment that I think you'll find helpful. Back in 2011, uh, I wrote a book called Economic Consequences. And in that book, I talked about the fact that the Federal Reserve had embarked on this temporary program of quantitative easing. Put another way, the Federal Reserve had started down the road of creating currency. Of course, at the time, the then chair of the Fed, Mr. Ben Bernanke, told us it was temporary. I said at the time that it was a slippery slope and it would likely continue and it would accelerate the move to stage four in what I call the money currency cycle. And here's what that means and here's why that's important for you to know. In that book, I did some research and refined that research in the New Retirement Rules book. Uh, that was released in 2014 and then, again, an updated version in 2016. We talked about this money currency cycle. And this money currency cycle has four stages. And as we move through the stages, eventually we move back around and get back to stage one again. So let me just briefly review these stages with you. Stage one, money and currency are the same thing. Now, many people, when talking about money and currency, use those two terms synonymously. They use them interchangeably. But that's really not the way those terms should be used. Currency, I define as the exchange medium used in commerce. Currency is what you use when you buy things, or currency is what you receive when you sell things. On the other hand, I would define money as a good store of wealth over time. Now, today's Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, was actually formed back in 1913. And prior to that time, a, a one-ounce gold coin circulated 
as currency, and a one-ounce gold coin was a $20 gold piece. Many of you may be shocked to find out that really the, the price of an ounce of gold hadn't changed much from 1792 when the Mint Act was passed all the way through 1913. So this one-ounce gold piece was currency, but it was also money. While the one-ounce coin had $20 in purchasing power in 1913, today that same one-ounce gold piece has more than $2,000 in purchasing power. Now, stage two has paper receipts circulating as currency, but these paper receipts can be redeemed for the real money. These paper receipts are simply a claim check allowing you to go back and claim the real money. Now, shortly after the Federal Reserve was founded in 1913, the backing of the U.S. dollar by gold was reduced from 100% backed by gold to 40% backed by gold, and the Federal Reserve began to issue something called a Federal Reserve note. Now, the Federal Reserve note uh, issued shortly after the Fed uh, was established. If you go back and look at a 1914 $20 Federal Reserve note, it's got a picture of President Grover Cleveland on it. And on the bottom of the note, it says, will pay to the bearer on demand $20. So if you happen to have one of these Federal Reserve notes, you could present the note and get the real $20, which was the one ounce of gold. Now, this system existed really from 1913 all the way through 1971 in one form or another. Then we enter stage three of this money currency cycle. At that point, paper receipts can no longer be redeemed for the real money. At this point, the currency is a fiat currency backed only by the full faith and credit of the issuer. Once a currency becomes a fiat currency, history tells us it's only a matter of time before the ruling class overspends and then funds that overspending through currency creation. Excessive currency creation leads to inflation and then ultimately a fiat currency failure or at the very least a redefinition of the fiat currency. Stage four is that currency failure or that redefinition. At that point, history teaches us that the money currency cycle goes back to the first stage and currency and money become the same thing again. Now, it's important to note when you study history that it can take 60 to 100 years for this cycle to complete. But here we are, in my view, nearing the end of this money currency cycle. Now, I'm going to talk more about this in the fourth segment of today's program, but the Cradle, and the Cradle is um, an independent news organization with a number of columnists, and there is a Brazilian journalist by the name of Pepe Escobar, who is a Eurasian specialist. In fact, he writes a column called The Roving Eye for the Asian Times, and he also did an interview with a Russian economist by the name of Sergei Glazchev. Sergei Glazchev, I believe, is the way the name is pronounced. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with what is going on now in the world now with that background that I've given you, 
We are now, I believe, moving to a redefinition of many currencies. Now, Mr. Escobar asked Mr. Glazchev this question. Quote, You are at the forefront of a game-changing geoeconomic development. The design of a new monetary or financial system via an association between the Eurasian Economic Union and China bypassing the U.S. dollar with a draft soon to be concluded. Could you possibly advance some of the features of this system, which seems to be a clear alternative to the Washington consensus and very close to the necessities of the global south? So this is public now that you've got the Eurasian Economic Union and China. Um, Russia is a part of the Eurasian Economic Union now putting together an alternative monetary system. Now, Glaschev said this, and obviously um, he is uh, poking uh, a, a bit at the United States. He said this, in a bout of Russia, Russophobic hysteria, the ruling elite of the United States played its last Trump ace in the hybrid war against Russia, having frozen Russian foreign exchange reserves and custody accounts of Western central banks Financial regulators of the U.S., the EU, and the U.K. undermine the status of the dollar, euro, and pound as global reserve currencies. This step sharply accelerated the ongoing dismantling of the dollar-based economic world order. Now, Mr. Glaschev said that for over a decade... He and his colleagues at the Astana Economic Forum have been working on this system. So what is this system? Well, Mr. Glaschev says that it is a new synthetic trading currency based on an index of currencies of participating countries, and it would also be backed by 20 exchange-traded commodities. So... It would be a system whereby all currencies were part of this basket of currencies, and these currencies were all backed by tangible assets like commodities. Now that is pretty big news, probably as big as when Richard Nixon eliminated the link between the dollar and gold. And about the same time as we reported here on this program, Uh, The Russian Central Bank now has pegged the ruble to gold. It's a moving peg, but at this point, the ruble is redeemable for gold at a rate of 5,000 rubles per gram. So we have this move from stage three and four back towards stage one. Now, it's important to understand that these moves don't happen with clear, defined edges. There's often a lot of gray area, and I happen to believe we're in that gray area right now. And the reason I bring this up is that if you're listening to this program today and you are someone who has saved money in a 401k or an IRA and you aspire to a comfortable, stress-free retirement, if you're not taking into account as part of your planning this big evolution this big potential evolution, perhaps I should say, in the way currencies operate, you really need to. And to that end, I would invite you to get the information we're offering on today's program. The special report is Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollars, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities Strategies for a Crazy World. You get the report. 
as well as some bonus information. Just visit requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Many of you recognize Jeffrey as a prolific author and commentator. He is also the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Uh, I'd encourage you to check out their website at brownstone.org. And Jeffrey, welcome back to the program. It's always good to be here, Dennis. Thank you for having me. So, Jeffrey, uh, before we jump in and talk a little economics and Fed policy, uh, why don't you let the listeners know what motivated you to found the Brownstone Institute and what you're all about? I was disappointed um, after the lockdowns happened that there wasn't more of uh, public um, moral outrage and also not enough serious examinations of the science behind lockdowns, which you know, from my observations, you know, had no scientific basis whatsoever. We knew for sure that there would be immense damage to people's lives, to children's education, to public health, to uh, business enterprise, small business, to workers. I mean, we knew this. Uh, We knew for sure that it stood in violation of things like the uh, uh, freedom of religion when they shut our churches and commercial ethos when they closed our, our, our businesses and, and normal rules of civilized living when they quarantined us crossing states from one border to the next. People were actually afraid to drive for a while. Anyway, um, I was disappointed that we didn't seem to have an information infrastructure in this country to get the word out in a way that would have rallied people against these these orders. And uh, so after a year of this, I thought, you know, this this is the moment of our lives. This is our World War One. This is our civil war. This is this is it. This is the War of the Roses, you know, or however way you want to analogize this going back. And it's going to affect the world for the next 10 years, if not longer. And we needed some dedicated researchers and writers to uh, get the truth out about this. And I have had a long experience in digital media and in website design and creation and editorial uh, affairs. And I thought, well, I'm the one to do it. So I put it together. We opened the doors August 1 of the website in 2021. And in that time, I don't know what our page views are up to. I stopped looking, but um, it could be uh, 30 million, you know, plus add another zero to that after you consider all the reprints on Epoch Times, the Zero Hedge, and you name it, all over the place. And so I'm just, you know, it's speaking to the issues of the day. And, you know, we've been cited in dozens of, of court filings, and, you know, it's just made a big difference. We, uh, our, 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 the attention we've been getting is, you know, given our size, uh, is actually quite 
remarkable, but that's mainly because we try to be very strict about the science and try to connect things for people. You know, this is a big problem, Dennis. It's, it's I think, a little bit hard for people to draw the cause and effect be- between things. You know, what's the relationship between the lockdowns, the spending, the inflation, you know, the war, the supply chain snags, uh, the depression among children, all of these things are related to the the compulsion and coercion that we experienced on an unprecedented level starting two years ago. And I, I wanted to draw that connection. So that's what we do every day. We try to document what's happening and draw the relationship and hopefully develop a, uh, you know, help public opinion pressure our political leaders to, Never do it again, and then somehow make the necessary reforms to make sure that it never happens again. Well, congratulations on your success, and uh, just to maybe uh, continue along that line, uh, you know, certainly uh, the, the the massive quantitative easing, or we can call it what it is, currency creation in response to the whole COVID situation has certainly contributed to uh, inflation. Uh, also, there's significant supply chain interruptions. So. Uh, give me your take on the primary cause of inflation and, and where do you see it going? And maybe just touch on how this is all related to maybe connect the dots for some listeners. Yeah, uh, as you suggest, there are myriad uh, forces at work here. The size change breakages cause a reduction of, of supply and therefore, according to normal economic laws, increases uh, prices. And, um, you know, housing has its own issues here having to do with demographic demographic upheaval and the search of uh, uh, money for a, you know, a return and so on. But, you know, I think it's important for people to realize something that none of this would be happening nearly at the scale it is happening without the incredible policies that were pursued starting in the spring of 2020 and continuing really up to now in which it goes like this. <laughs> Basically, when you shut down an economy, the economy shuts down. Okay? <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that means an instant, instant imposed depression. I mean, that goes without saying. Shut down, the economy is wrecked. Washington has this obsession with never wanting to see the data show anything real. <laughs> so, so Congress made this catastrophic error within two weeks of the shutdown to approve the so-called CARES Act, which is something like $1.7 trillion in subsidies. Now, Dennis, this why was this so bad? Well, it was bad because it allowed governments to avoid the consequences of their actions. So immediately, every state government in the country and every county, every city, uh, and then you know, tons of uh, businesses and workers got flooded with cash from the federal government. Now, I mean, I've been around a while. You have to, we don't normally open up our bank accounts and find a check from the Treasury Department in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was a weird moment. They're like, well, maybe the government's not so bad after all. So suddenly, the pressure to end the lockdowns went away. 
And it was like, you know, well, this is a kind of a good deal. If the government's going to continue to fund this stuff, let's just see how long we can keep this going. Well, they did, uh, uh, all the way up to, I don't know, the numbers differ, but just like straight up COVID bailout money is something on the order of $6 trillion. Now, now how does, you know, this is a little bit weird from a household point of view. Um, if you are spending beyond your means, you you're going to have to uh, deal with the debt. But at some point, the bank's going to say, hey, you've got too much debt. We don't think you can serve this or services. It doesn't match your income. It doesn't match your credit or history. Congress doesn't face any of those limitations. They just can go, 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 go. The only real limitation on them is the market for the debt uh, might start to um, panic about the prospects of default. And that's where the Federal Reserve comes into play. So you know, suddenly Congress is dishing out all this the big box and all funding it with uh, creation of new treasuries of various uh, maturities. Uh, the Federal Reserve goes in and buys them all and ballooned its balance sheet far higher than it's ever been. I mean, it makes 2008 look like nothing. So how does the Fed do this? Well, there's a kind of a weird rule about central banks. Their checks don't bounce. because they always cover them with newly created money. So when you can, if you look at the charts, and this is what I find utterly bizarre. Sometimes people think central banking, central banking monetary theory is complicated. Well, in this case, it was pretty simple. Uh, Congress spent the money, created the the Fed, bought the debt. And if you look at, uh, the monetary aggregates, like you don't have to look at the money base or anything complicated or the balance sheets or anything. Just look at M2. It's almost a dollar for dollar uh, relationship between what Congress spent and the money that the Federal Reserve created. Six trillion dollars over two years. And unlike 2008, where, yeah, the Fed created a lot of money, but it dumped it into a uh, and to, uh, to shore up the, the balance sheets of, of, of the banking industry and kept it off the streets by paying uh, banks. To, you pay, the Federal Reserve paid a higher rate to banks uh, to hold that money in the vault than they would otherwise get on the market. So the hot money never went out. Now, Some people, and I was one of them, was predicting inflation back in 2008. It didn't happen because of this little trick of paying a a really nice interest on reserves. Well, this time was completely different. Instead of doing that, and by the way, this made, as Dennis, as you know, the the, uh, central bankers uh, very cocky. They're like, wow, we can create a lot of money, and it doesn't seem to have any really bad macroeconomic effects. So this time came around, they said, all right, let's do it again. But this time, instead of putting it into the vaults of the Fed, they dropped it from helicopters all over the country. Jeffrey, I'm going to have to have you leave it there because we're coming up at the end of the segment. But I I would love to pick this up again in the next segment. My guest today, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Go to brownstone.org and check out their work. I do. I'd encourage you to do that as well. I will return after these words with Mr. Jeffrey Tucker.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the distinct pleasure of chatting once again today with uh, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. He's the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. Uh, you can learn more at brownstone.org. Uh, tremendous success uh, the Brownstone Institute has enjoyed in the short time that it has been uh, in existence. So, Jeffrey, we were talking uh, prior to the break when the clock so rudely made me stop uh, about helicopter money and uh, how now this time around that the Fed created this currency, it got dropped on Main Street. So let me just ask you, what do we have to do moving ahead from a policy perspective to right the ship or can it even be done? Well, you know, the, the public is very aware that inflation is running a lot higher than 8.5%. I, it's one of the things you, you notice from the way the CPI is calculated by the Department of Labor. They're doing it in an old-fashioned way. They, they have employees that go from store to store. So it's always behind the times. Oh, we live in a digital age. So there's tools out there. One I've really come to trust is called Trueflation. I think the site is trueflation.com. And they measure uh, prices based on uh, real-time reports using APIs from, you know, uh, retail establishments and wholesalers all over the country. And they have clocked inflation money as high as 13.8 and food prices up, you know, 25%. And that, that sounds a lot more realistic and consistent with what people are experiencing. So people are very angry about this. Now, the Fed faces a choice right now. Um, and I'm not... You know, I'm not sure if it's a, but anyway, this is what they believe their choice is. They can um, sell bonds and get and get their balance sheet fixed up, uh, which has the effect of of, of uh, reducing the rate of increase or even reducing, you know, sort of sopping up a lot of excess liquidity that's out there. But that's a very dangerous strategy because then it could kick the economy into recession, which we're already facing anyway. So. You know, the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve is looking at this. You know, there's two buttons on a dial. It's, it's like uh, continue the inflation or cause the recession. You know, which one are you going to press? And for now, it seems as if the Fed Reserve, even though they're inching up interest rates a little bit here and there, uh, 50 basis points, I think, is the, the next schedule. Uh, it's nowhere near where it needs to be. And they're they're going to try to soft land the situation so we get, you know, no recession and and a reduction of inflation. I Dennis don't really believe that that's going to be possible. I don't see how that that happens. If anything's possible, I suppose, but the logic of the situation doesn't point to that as a good solution. I think the only thing you can really do right now is come to terms with reality. Um, start stopping up this liquidity, bump up that interest rate, uh, the federal funds rate. Um, dramatically, I mean dramatically, we're not talking about 50 basis points, but you know, you've got to have um, a normally shaped yield curve with, uh, with interest rates that approach uh, inflation levels uh, in order to fix the situation. And that would immediately tank a lot of companies and, and uh, cause tremendous problems around the country, um, which I don't welcome you don't welcome but that's the reality we need to face this reality and we're not facing the reality uh, and i don't believe that the biden administration is going to do it because here's the terrible thing Des. look you know this is this is happening right before midterm elections you know so 
uh, tanking the economy into a recessionary state right now, even if it cools off inflation, is going to guarantee political losses uh, at the federal level and all over the country. So this is what we're faced with right now. Well, and Jeffrey, to, to, to jump in there, I mean, if we face this reality and, uh, and, and follow the course of action that you've just suggested, doesn't that impose fiscal discipline on Washington, and that's something they're really not that interested in? You know, I, I think that Washington would panic, actually, at, at, uh, under those conditions and maybe pull back a little bit in the, in the spending. I mean, these guys are dangerous, but they're not utterly and completely insane. Um, well, that's a relief to know. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I, I, do, I do worry, too. And, you know, the, you remember this. I think it was about 10 years ago, the U.S., there was talk about default. And... And that's a very that's a, that's a, the D word, right? I mean, that's a very dangerous thing for the market for U.S. debt all over the world. At the same time, Dennis, the, 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 you know, you're seeing real pressure on the status of the dollar as the international reserve currency. Now, the dollar is up relative to other currencies because, you know, it's the least destroyed currency probably in the world. But um, all, but you, you know, with these international conflicts where they're going right now, and if you, if you get an alliance between Saudi Arabia, Iran, China, and Russia uh, to move to a different currency, that could create absolute havoc. And so I think that prospect alone might cause some pullback in spending under those conditions. Well, and Jeffrey, the the, uh, the 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 scenario you just described seems to be, uh, you know, a reality in response to, uh, you know, the U.S., the EU, and the U.K., uh, you know, freezing Russian assets. It seems that the move away from the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, at least in in that part of the world and, and the BRICS countries, that all seems to be, you know, accelerating at this point. Yeah. It, well, you know, I think the U.S. made a disastrous decision and, and effectively, um, how would you say, weaponizing uh, the dollar and demonetizing the dollar in, in Russia. That was, that was completely unnecessary. And what did they think were gonna, was going to happen? Of course, you reduce the market for the dollar under those conditions. If the federal government can just say, I don't care how much dollar reserves you hold, or in this case with the Russia, those were SDRs, which the so-called special drawing rights with the IMF. That that uh, uh, the U.S. pressured the IMF just not to recognize, to demonetize effectively uh, the dollar for a major part of the world uh, is going to have effects, um, profound effects on on future perceptions of the stability of the dollar. I, you know, Dennis. I mean, you and I talk all the time. I think one of the mistakes sometimes all of us make is to assume that governments you know, operate with some degree of foresight and intelligence. That appears not to be the case. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, and I, it's weird to say that. It's very strange to say that. But I sometimes I just think these institutions are so uh, are so different from anything else that's in our lives. They they they're simultaneously sadistic and masochistic. Like they they don't mind hurting us, and and also they don't even know what's good for them. So that seems to be the moment in which we uh, find ourselves. 
So, Jeffrey, in the four and a half minutes we have left, um, uh, assuming we see this 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 pullback in spending, um, assuming you know we see more uh, a more responsible course of action here, um, in, in your view, what does that do to the cause of liberty, which is a uh, uh, something obviously near and dear to both of our hearts? You know, we're faced with really a situation without precedent in my lifetime, and it's a real struggle between the general demands of regular people to live their lives and be left alone. And I'm not talking about wild libertarian doctrine here. I'm just talking about a normal expectation that that we can keep our businesses open, go to church, uh, travel, uh, count on our money. It's going to be there. Um, Just have basic stability in our lives. On one hand, and then on the other hand, you've got this, this, this crazy administrative state that just believes that anything is possible and that there are no limits to their power. And we're really living in the midst of, of this. And this is kind of no, more, no better encapsulated than with the great struggle over the, the transportation mask mandate. Uh, the judge in Florida said, this is dumb. You can't just tell everybody to wear a certain piece of clothing and call it public health. And I had assumed at that point that the Biden administration would say, oh, good point, and move on, especially when they saw videos of people all over the country, especially workers, you know, for airports cheering. And the TSA, you know, stopped enforcing it. Well, sure enough, you know, I was amazed with the Department of Justice, well, the Biden administration said, well, we don't know what to do. Let's ask the Department of Justice. And I said, we don't know what to do. Let's ask the CDC. And the CDC said, uh-oh, now we got a problem. So they assigned some committee, and the CDC said, well, we have to protect – here's where it's interesting. We have to protect our authority. <laughs> so we're, they, didn't, they said the authority of public health. Now, keep in mind, they didn't say public health. This is the authority of public health. And so they kicked it back to the DOJ and said, you've got to, uh, you've got to appeal this decision. So that happened just last night. Now, that's just a, a completely remarkable and devastating thing. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit, like, you know, what happens now? Because every airline has announced the end of the mandate. What happens now is the Biden administration puts them back into place. I mean, I, I don't know. It reminds me of 1957 with uh, Chairman Mao saying, let, let's let a thousand flowers bloom. And then uh, he used that occasion to ferret out all of his political enemies. So now the Biden administration will have videos of people celebrating the end of the mask mandate. And, you know, are they going to use that for political retaliation? I don't know. So things are heating up very, very quickly. And these are going to be an interesting few months ahead of us. Well, Jeffrey, we've got about a minute and a half left in this segment. So for someone who maybe uh, wasn't with us at the beginning of the first segment, uh, can you do about a 40-second commercial for what the Brownstone Institute does? <laughs> yes, sir. So we, we're covering every area from economics to public health to, to, to uh, issues of, of war and peace and everything, and all from the perspective of the uh, dramatic reforms we need to make as a country and a world towards a more rational, more intelligent uh, embrace of, of liberty for everyone. Liberty, equality, democracy, these kinds of things are really important. And they sound maybe like cliches, 
or maybe two years ago they sounded like cliches. Now we know they're not. They're the most important things we have, and they can be taken away at any time if these people so uh, desire it. And we can't live like this. And that's what Brownstone is uh, dedicated to investigating and looking at. And we're not going to let this moment pass. Uh, we face a real crisis. And we need institutions out there to stand up for what we've always believed in, you know, which is limited government and freedom for ourselves, our families, our communities. So that's well, what I'm That's terrific. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. I will return after these words. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. And thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker, for joining me on today's program. If you're just joining me today, I do have an opportunity for you today. It's the last opportunity to get this special report we've been offering for the last month. The report is titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat devaluing dollars, sinking stocks, bubbling bonds, and climbing commodities, strategies for a crazy world. If you'd like to get the report as well as some bonus information that I know you'll find to be timely, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. Just let me know where to mail the report as well as the bonus information, and I will be very glad to do that. In the first segment of today's program, I, I talked about the fact that in uh, some of the books that I have done over the years, starting in 2011 with the book Economic Consequences, I put forth this idea that there's something that exists called the money currency cycle. And when you study history, it has existed many times throughout history without a doubt. And as I explained in the first segment, and we'll do again briefly in this segment, this money currency cycle has four stages. Stage one has money and currency being the same thing. Now, I define currency as the exchange medium. It's what you use to buy and sell things. And I define money as a good store of wealth over time. Now, prior to the establishment of the Federal Reserve back in 1913, which is the central bank of the United States, gold circulated as currency. In fact, a one-ounce gold coin was worth $20. And you would use that one-ounce gold coin in commerce. So it was currency, but it was also money. Because the $20 in purchasing power that gold piece had in 1913, today is now about $2,000 in purchasing power. So at this stage of the money currency cycle, gold was money and gold was currency. The second stage of the cycle took place shortly after the Federal Reserve was founded, and there was something called a Federal Reserve note, a paper note that looked a lot like the notes you have, the bills you have in your purse or wallet. This Federal Reserve note circulated, and on this note, the words were printed, will pay to the bearer on demand. So if you had a $20 Federal Reserve note, it said, will pay to the bearer on demand, $20 you could exchange that Federal Reserve note for the actual money. 
Then we got to stage three of this money currency cycle. At that point, the redemption privilege is suspended. In this case, it was suspended permanently by Mr. Richard Nixon back in 1971. And since that time, the dollar has been a fiat currency. And history teaches us that once a currency becomes a fiat currency, it's only a matter of time before the ruling class overspends and then funds that overspending through currency creation. That's exactly what has happened. And now, because fiat currencies historically have a 100% failure rate, we are now looking for currency, for currency and money to be redefined. And that's actually happening now. We talked about the fact in the first segment that the U.S., the U.K., and the European Union uh, froze assets of Russia uh, as part of the sanctions that were issued. Now, that has caused Russia and other members of the Eurasian Economic Union and China to accelerate their move to develop an alternate currency system. Now, I talked about an interview that Brazilian uh, freelance reporter Mr. Pepe Escobar did with Sergei Glazchev, and he is a Russian economist. And this is what Mr. Glazchev had to say to pick up where I left off. He said, currently the U.S. is fighting to maintain its dominance. Put another way, the U.S. is fighting to maintain its reserve currency status. Now, if all this seems a little bit foreign to you, a reserve currency is simply the currency that is most trusted in the world and is used in international trade. Well, Mr. Glazchev said that because of what the U.S. did, because of what the EU did, because of what the UK did, that they need to now transition to a new system to bypass the dollar because, one, they can't use them, and, two, they feel like they can't, be, they, they can't trust them. And this is what he had to say. There's going to be three phases to this transition. He says in the first phase of this transition, countries fall back to using their national currencies and clearing mechanisms, at this point, price formation is still mostly driven by prices at various exchanges denominated in dollars. This phase is almost over. Mr. Glaschev says that after Russia's reserves in dollars, euro, pound, and yen were frozen, it's unlikely that any sovereign country will continue accumulating reserves in these currencies. Now, perhaps it's coincidence, perhaps it is not, but if you take a look at what U.S. Treasuries have done during the month of March, the long bond is down about 15%, and yields have gone from 2% to 3%. That's in a very short period of time, less than two months. So it seems that demand for U.S. Treasuries is down because U.S. Treasuries have lost 15% of their value in less than two months. Now, Mr. Glaschev said that the second phase of the transition will involve new pricing mechanisms do, that do not reference the dollar. And that's actually where they are at in this process. And then he says, finally in the process, we will, in the third and final stage, that there will be a new digital payment of currency that will be backed by physical assets like commodities. He said a currency like this can be issued by a pool of currency reserves of BRICS countries, which all interested countries will be able to join. 
Now, why do I bring this up on today's program? Well, one, I think it's important for everyone to know uh, that currency and money do change over time. And if you're not having that conversation as part of your retirement income planning, let me just say that it's my strong opinion that you should be. And that's why I'm offering some free information on today's program. It's a last opportunity to get the report titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollars, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities, Strategies for a Crazy World. To get the report, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. Give me your name and address, and we'll send you a free box of information And I would encourage you to do that if you have not yet gotten this perspective. So again, requestyourreport.com is the website. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.